I'm going to get us started. We've got um, it's 20 after, you know, he said, um, Ryan said we could go to eight, a little after eight. I, I don't, I don't know that I'll go that long, but um, this will be our last session together. If you've got your booklet, you want to go to um, page six. I'm going to really take, take the back end of, um, of Colossians there. Uh, boy, I, I want to say again how, um, how good it has been to, to uh, John and Missy to hear your, your story. And even tonight, I mean, to bring the, um, the young man and the voice of the martyrs. Um, and Missy, I don't know if you're in here or not, but your comment about scars, even as you started saying it, are you familiar with Amy Carmichael? Do you know her poem? Well, her, I, her when she was speaking of scars, it made me think of uh, Amy Carmichael, who 55 years in India, and she's just 18, late 1800s um, through the mid-1950s, but just one of those iconic, uh, amazing um, ladies, uh, missionaries. But she her, probably her, one of her best-known poems is called Hath Thou No Scar. And I remember reading this in a little booklet of hers when I was in college, so I'm 19 years old and having come to faith. But she wrote this, Hast thou no scar, no hidden scar on foot or side or hand? I hear thee sung as mighty in the land. I hear them hail thy bright ascendant star. Hast thou no scar? Hast thou no wound? Yet I was wounded by the archers, spent, leaned me against the tree to die and rent, by ravening beasts that, that compassed me, I swooned. Hast thou no wound? No wound? No scar? It as the master shall the servant be, and pierced are the feet that follow me. But thine are whole. Can he have followed far who has no wound, no scar? Beautiful. And, you know, kudos to what you all are doing. Grateful. I know it's not about you, and you've made that clear. Um, and I know... You know, the, when you were talking about scars and even saying there are many, you know, John maybe can see on some with, that he works with and others you can't, but um, I'm sure there are many for the both of you that we can't see that you carry. And so very, very grateful. Let me pray for us and we will begin. Father, thank you for these moments. Thank you for a good meal. Thank you for tables to sit at. Thank you for hands that have served us so well. Thank you for a full day today, for life and breath. Thank you for these moments in your word. and We invite you, Holy Spirit, to teach us, to show us what only you can show us, to help us see what we can't see on our own. And truly, not just to understand this text and what Paul is saying, but by your Spirit to live it. Change us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and go to Colossians chapter 4 and page 6 in your booklet. 
You know, um, communication theorists uh, and others have long known that how you begin and how you end, uh, like an event, if you'd say that. Ryan, I'm a little bit hot to me right here, if you just take a, just an edge off of it for, for myself and help me. But how you begin and how you end. And, and so people spend an inordinate amount of time, quite frankly, you think about a concert you go to or an event. It's the beginning, what? And then the content's good, but then you're always saving it. They always know it's how you end, <laughs> you know, and that's what you carry with you. When, sometimes when you read Paul's letters, I'm wondering if he, if he knows that in a way. So you read Colossians, and, you know, we're in verses 7 through uh, 18, and, and, and when you look at it, uh, these last 12 verses, like, does Paul, I mean, it's kind of like, God, this has been such an amazing letter, and, you know, it just kind of drops down. And I've mentioned to you that we team teach at our church, and so Rob and I, you know, I'm responsible for organizing, you know, who's teaching what or when, and we got calendar stuff, and so I'm just kind of trying to connive and scheme so I don't get the last verses, <laughs> you know. Both of us laughed about it because we both look like, I, I don't want to get those, you know, and I ended up getting them, and I'm so grateful that I did because having spent time in the text, and as I walk us through uh, this evening, I hope you'll feel the same. But how it ends, far, it, it ends far from a whimper. There's no, it's not a whimper of an ending. It is, I, I, as all the letter, but, you know, I, I don't want to overstate it, but he, he ends with some things that he doesn't want us to forget. I mean, he doesn't want us to forget all of it, but there's some, you know, it's like, don't miss this as he ends it. It's not on the surface, but when you think about it, I, I think we can see it. So if you look at your notes there, I've got three, uh, the outline's three points, Paul's messengers, Paul's co-workers, and Paul's final charge. And then we'll end, this will be my last message with you, and so we'll end it a, a little bit different, that, uh, a way that I'd like us to, to conclude our time that fits, I think, with the topic and the, and the things we've been talking about. Let's start with uh, Paul's messengers. It's chapter 4, and we're going to take verses 7 to 9. Follow along in your Bibles as I read this. He says, Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. Well, that's loaded, isn't it? I mean, you just take this one man, you go, well, he's beloved, he's faithful, he's a servant. I, verse 8, I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. Onesimus is a Colossian. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. So with Tychicus and Onesimus, um, Tychicus is probably... I think there's a... He's probably, from what we can tell, he's with Paul over a 10-year over a period... Um, he, he's not only delivering, so he's the delivery person. So Paul writes a letter. Epaphras goes to Paul. Paul, let me tell you what's going on in Colossians. Paul pens a letter. Paul gives it to Tychicus and Onesimus. And he says, take it back to Col the Colossians. And he takes it back. But he also takes it to these other er areas around uh, Colossians that, um, Paul has written a letter to the book of Philemon is is what we know about Onesimus Onesimus is a a, a, a slave who ran away he might have taken something I don't know what he did but 
He ended up meeting Paul. He comes to faith, and Paul writes to his owner, Philemon, and says, would you take him back now? Because he's come to faith in Christ. He's a brother in Christ. So that's what we know of Onesimus. Um, they're, they're, they're also informing the Colossians, you know, about Paul's activities. Verse 7, they're going to tell you about my activities. They're going to tell you how we're doing. They will tell you everything that has taken place here. Uh, speaking of Tychicus, I've sent him for this very purpose that he may encourage, that he may encourage your hearts. Um, they were, what, what I want to note is they were carrying a letter. At the end of the day, they're carrying, you know, a piece of paper that Paul had written a letter on. And here we are some 2,000 years later, like, drinking deeply of this letter that they carried. Um, and it, and it, I'm just going to cut to the quick and go, you know, as they carry this letter, it strikes me in terms of a principle or lesson and, I, and I've got it noted there in your notes. In the work of the kingdom, there are no small parts when we all do our part. There are no small parts when we all do our part. I mean, you know, we're not, people aren't writing books on Tychicus and Onesimus per se. <laughs> but um, they carried the letter. What if they said no? I don't know. What if they dropped it what if they what if they didn't do that and the work of the kingdom you know they were doing the work of the kingdom by carrying a letter from paul to this church at Colossae. i mean the world didn't notice it you know it didn't make headlines they were just almost like what we we're talking about earlier this morning they're just doing their job you know and taking this letter uh, the work of the kingdom and i and i, and I believe this most of the work of the kingdom is not me a teacher standing in front of you, you know, me doing the work of the kingdom, teaching you. No, that's what I tried to say earlier today. The work of the kingdom is you, day in, day out, being faithful to the Lord where he's put you. That's just, that's the work of the kingdom. And, you know, you, you may not speak at a conference like I'm doing now, but there's no small part when we all do our part. Um, Colossians, uh, we didn't, chapter 3, verse 17, speaks of all that's done for Christ, or all that's done in Christ's name is eternally significant. When we're doing our work as unto the Lord, it's eternally significant. It's an old, old poem. You've, you've probably heard it through the years. I think it was 18, what did I write down here when that was? 1640, you know, when this li limerick, if you will, was written for the want of a nail, the shoe was lost for the want of a shoe the horse was lost for the want of a horse the rider was lost for the want of a rider the battle was lost for the want of a battle the kingdom was lost all for the want of a horseshoe nail and it just highlights that for the want of a nail that would have held the horseshoe on the kingdom was lost, right? It's like this little thing. The kingdom was lost. You know, it was just a little thing. Well, the kingdom was lost for the want of that nail. I love what Alexander McLaren wrote back in the 1800s. He said of this passage, he said, what have, what have big and little to do with things that are indispensable? The work of the kingdom. There's no big and little. 
was the Paul writes the letter. Could Tychicus and Onesimus written the letter? Maybe you know, it's a maybe a ridiculous question, but I, I would go well. No, the Apostle Paul wrote the letter. So their their job was just deliver the letter. Could Paul have just delivered the letter? In the circumstance, the answer is no. He's in prison. So it's like when everybody's doing their part, there is no small part. I stood uh, on, on the sh- over by the sand with many of you today as, as, the bap- as we had the baptisms. How awesome is that? I mean, that's glorious. Talk about the glory of God revealed in salvation and saving these young men and women. Um, but I stood there, and I want you to think about this. I mean, how did that come to be? I mean, was it Daniel? Did he bring that about? Because he's the director and leads it all? I don't know. Was it... This just went out. Was it the maintenance crew that makes sure that, you know, the water's clean and everything's done before? Was it, was it the person that wrote the copy in the Gull Lake, you know, newsletter that invited people to come? Was it... You know what I'm saying? It, who, who, who got that there? Well, God did ultimately, but ultimately a lot of people... And I know every parent that baptized their kids. I know I'd say this, and I think I'm speaking for you to say, it wasn't you, in, in essence. You know, I knew it is you, but it's a lot of people involved in the work of the kingdom for our own family. I mean, gosh, you know, we've got three kids. And I think about the people that have poured into my kids. I can't, is there a price you put on their, their little faithfulness all through those years? Again, in the work of the kingdom, there are no small parts when we all do our part. Look at verses 10 to 14. He shifts to his co-workers. Verse 10, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. Don't you read that sometimes? This is the inspired scripture, and you wonder, I wonder why Paul had to slip that little nugget in there, you know, when he comes, welcome. You know, Mark's the one who Paul had a bit of a falling out with in the, in the missionary, you know, I forget which missionary journey, but they had a disagreement. Barnabas took him, and Paul's like, he's not of use to me anymore, and then later in life he is. But how, how tender, you know, that, that he includes these words that we hear 2,000 years later we, we read. And then Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me, Three men, and these are the only three Jewish men who have come to faith and are doing the work of the kingdom with Paul at this time. It's, an, it's just a massive comfort to him that these three have joined him in this work. This word comfort, it, 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 the idea is, is the comfort one feels in times of disappointment. Uh, it's the consolation you feel when you're disillusioned, dis- disappointed. And that's what they were to the Apostle Paul. And, and with that, um, I'm, I'm reminded, and, and I don't think I'm saying anything that's a surprise to hear to you, but Paul himself, you see, was not immune to deep disappointment. Uh, the Episcopal Bishop Philip Brooks was writing again in the 1800s. And he said this, quote, To be a true minister to men is always 
to accept new happiness and new distress. The man who gives himself to other men can never be a wholly sad man, but no more can he be a man of unclouded gladness. To him shall come with every deeper consecration a before untasted joy, but in the same cup shall be mixed a sorrow that was beyond his power to feel before. Which brings us to this second lesson I've got there in your notes. <laughs> in the work of the kingdom, we accept new happiness and new distress. In the work of the kingdom, we accept new happiness and new distress. It is a strange and difficult paradox of faith to, to me personally, and I think it's, it, it's biblical when you are living your life for the kingdom, uh, God will give you relationships of such incredible depth and joy that you would have never experienced. Were you, was, your not, was your value not kingdom-oriented? And he will give you relationships that cut deeper and hurt more than would be possible were you not walking with Christ and living for his kingdom. It's like you get both. New happiness, new distress. I, I really believe this. You, you live your life for Christ, and I think you will experience some of the darkest relational pains capable of, of, capable of being experienced by a human being on the planet just as you'll experience the deep, the, the great highs and joys. Does that make sense? And I think when you're not following Christ, I don't know that you, you go there, because, I don't know, I'm just offering that. I'll just say, when you're not living for the kingdom, I don't, I don't know that you go the high, I, don't, I really don't believe you go to the highest, the high that God has made us and wired us to enjoy, but I also think, don't think you go to the lowest of the low that you can experience, because uh, this is the work of the kingdom. Paul then mentions a man who planted the church in Colossae. That's uh, Epaphras in verse 12. And he says, Epaphras, who, have one of you, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Herapolis. He mentions Luke, the beloved physician. He greets you as does Demas, er, uh, Epaphras, uh, it, it's interesting to me that Paul, in mentioning Epaphras, he does say, and uh, Epaphras, who's one of you, by the way, you know, he's the one that planted the church. You do know he's the founding pastor. You do know he, he started this whole thing. He didn't do that. He just goes, and you know, Epaphras, he's a servant. He struggles on your behalf in prayer. Wow. That's what marks Epaphras. I'll go back to the very first message in Colossians, a worthy prayer. I'll bet you Epaphras was praying, and it's hinted at here, is it not, God's will, that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. They would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, pleasing him in all things, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. I'll bet he prayed 
that they would be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. And I bet he prayed that gratitude would arise in their hearts when he thought about them. May gratitude arise in their hearts when they remember the inheritance they have in Christ. Now I'm just talking about the prayer that Paul prayed in, in, in the first part of Colossians. It's, Epith- it's Epiphysis prayer. And notice the language around prayer. He struggles. <laughs> it's a battle to pray. It was continuous. He always it was difficult. It was agonizomai, uh, agony. We get that. It was, a, it was spiritual in focus. It was about spiritual maturity. You know, I'm sure they had physical needs that he, he mentioned, but I'm, it, it was the core of it was that Pauline prayer for maturity and growth. And then the final charge, look at verses 15 on down to 18. He says, give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read to the church of the Laodiceans and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. You know, we don't have a Laodicean letter. Most scholars think that it's the letter um, Ephesians. Um, I know we have a New Testament scholar in here, um, Daniel's brother. Are you, where, where, are, where are you at? Checking on the kid. Well, we can't ask the New Testament scholar. I'll have to ask him later, but I think it's, we think it's Ephesians. Um, and then he says, and say to Archippus, like, you know, P.S. Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. Fulfill it, finish it. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains, grace be with you. Paul sends his greetings to the Believers in the nearby city of Laodicea, church meeting in the house of Nympha. You know, we as a church have been meeting online since March 12th, as probably many of you have. And uh, this, we're not going to go live again until July 5th, so we're online all the month of June. But in the month of June, our encouragement to our church has been, if you feel comfortable and, you know, you feel that you can do this and you have some people you've kind of quarantined with or you feel comfortable around, then, then meet in their home and watch the service online. So this has kind of been our group home church month for for people in our church and and I reminded them this is how the church existed for a long time you know they didn't have buildings and so they're meeting in homes and so that's what we've been doing during the month of uh, of June Paul says that personal word to Archibus see that you fulfill the ministry that you received in the Lord we don't know what that ministry was it's um the word simply means finish the service the work the way you the, the, the serving you've done uh, but, but Paul, isn't that interesting? The Holy Spirit prompted him to, to give a specific word, to name the guy's name of all the things going on and exhort him to finish what you've started. And it leads just to, I've got two more lessons here. The first one is this from Archippus. In the work of the kingdom, how you finish matters more than how you start. Of course, how you start matters, but you understand what I'm saying, that how you finish matters more than how you start. How you finish. How you finish. Finish the job. Complete it. You know, along the way in our work, you know, we make mistakes, we mess up. It's how you finish. Um, this may, uh, I turned 60. 
And I know there are others in the room older than me in the room. And, but, you know, when you're in your 50s, this is, I'm, I'm just speaking for those in the 50s, you know, you, whatever, you agree or disagree. But you're in your 50s, it's kind of like, feel older, you're, but, but it's got that 50, 50. When you hit 60, it's 60. You know, it's like, I don't know, when I was 20 and I looked at someone who's 60, I thought they were Methuselah, you know, <laughs> at, that, at, that, at, at that. So I'm 60, and it's, it is different. I, I'm just going to tell you, other people have different experiences. Mine has been, I, I, okay, I'm feeling this one. You know, even physically in my body and other things. Um, and it's, it's not a bad thing, you know. It's life. You know, I, I, I'm having so many memories when I watch these students running around. When I was a student and I did something sort of like what they're doing when I was 19, I just remember, like, I remember that. And then all of a sudden I go, I'm 19, I go, oh, my gosh, I'm 60, you know. The, the, the finish line is, is near, and, it, and again, it's not a bad thing. It's, a good ref, it's good reflection because it forces you to face your, your limits and your limitations. You know, when you're 19, 20s, you, you just think you can do it all, and you have your whole life in front of you, and uh, I just am going to tell you, I'm 60. I don't think that way because it's not. I mean, it's, you know, my end's closer than, 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 than where I began, um, and so in, I, I don't, I, I wasn't even thinking about this in my 50s. It's, I don't know, this is just me. But I'm just telling you, I hit that mark, and now I really am like the, the end sort of, you know, I don't mean to be morbid, but you know, the end is, is nearer. It's near. I know, I know it's near. You know, when you're in your 30s, 40s, you don't know. You think you're going to live. And so I've been just looking at that, and I think when you get hit 60, it's not, um, you know, I, you know, when you're 40s, you go, I hope I finish well. You know, my, I hope I finish well. It's like when you're 60s, it's like, look, you're either going to finish well or not. You know, <laughs> you're, 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 you're sort of there. And I think that's a very healthy and good thing. Um, I was talking to my son recently, and, and, and I got so tickled at this. He's 24, be 25, but he's really good with finances and numbers and stuff. And, um, so I called him because uh, I just drive a totally beat-up car that is okay with me, two kids in college, et cetera, et cetera, you know. But a friend of Lisa's had a car, and they wanted to, to they said, Lloyd, you need a new car. Just buy this car from us. And they gave me a price. It was a great price, but I just go, I don't want to spend that money. I got, I got stuff to do. Well, they keep knocking down the price, and they probably say, look, just buy it for this. And it's almost like I just had to go, gosh, you know, I, I can't not buy this car because my car is to total, a total, you know, it's dying but um, I called my son, you know, because he's good. I said, man, walk through this with him, you know, and, and he's, pulling up, he's pulling up stuff on cars.com with the prices. Dad, here's what we can do, you know, and then, you know, he's like, Dad, I can flip it for you, man. Like, if they're going to sell it to you for that, I'll just turn around. And, and, and he knows because I've always, you know, I want a truck because I used to have a truck. I, I got out of it, you know, back in the gash, $4 a gallon. But I'm, I've always said I'm gonna, I want a truck, you know, and so we're talking on the phone in, in Dart, and he says, uh, he, he goes, Dad, I know you want your last car to be a truck. I, 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 mean, I mean your last two cars to be a truck. And I got so tickled. <laughs> I'm going, I told him I saw him. I didn't say anything then. Two days later, I was with him. I said, you know, I got what you said. You said, Dad, you want your last, like, you think I'm on my last one. That's what you said. He was dying. And then he went, no, your, your last two. So, you know, you think I got two left in me. Um, but it was, it was a good, it was funny, and it's, but it's also, I go, 
um, you know, you kind of start thinking that, you kind of start thinking that way, you know, you, you don't know. And here's what I want you to consider. You may be on your last car. Who's to say? Car you're driving right now. Who's to say it's not your last one? And the one I'm, you know, you know what I'm saying? See, it's not like I got a three-car life left. <laughs> None of us do. And so it's not, hey, one day I'm going to finish well. It's where I am right now. Am I finishing well? Because I, I may be done tomorrow. It's a good, good sobering thought for me. And then... Um, This last lesson, I, I, I just take it from the whole last back end of this text. Do you guys notice? He mentions 11 people. Another lesson, only, only Romans he mentions more. But you know, he's, he's, he, he's ending it and he names names. He didn't, he's not even talking about the work of the ministry and stuff at this point. He's just naming people. Um, whatever... Archippus, um, whatever his work of service, I can guarantee you it had to do with these two things. See, it was received, the ministry that you have received from the Lord. So we know it's not like he thought it up, he came up. No, it, it, God gave it to him. And so I would say this, whatever that ministry, whatever that work is for you, it, it's what God has given you. And, the, and, the, and the, way I, the only way I can make this tangible for me is, is to believe this. It's what's right in front of you. It's just what's in front of you. What's, <coughs> what's there? Because <laughs> God has put it there. The second thing I'd say this, in light of these last few verses, is it has to do with people. Ultimately, it has to do with people. It's what I said earlier today. The word of God and the souls of people last forever. And so this last lesson is in the work of the kingdom, people matter most. In the work of the kingdom, people matter most. Our church has five core values. Um, one of them is, we call it better together. You know, it's like most churches. You know, Nate, I'm sure yours has these values where you go, these are our values that we hold to that guide us. One of ours is better together. It's based on the fact that when we read the New Testament, you know, the whole New Testament, if you, if you kind of distilled it out, it's basically saying, get along <laughs> that's he's just constantly just get along and, and here's how to get along um, Jesus himself would put the final word on this idea of people when he said by this all people will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another and you know I'm, I'm just honest, I'm just telling you how I think and feel around these things I wish he'd have said not it's how you love each other that the world will know. I wish he would have made the litmus test by the way you read your Bible. People are going to know. I wish he had just given me, you know, you know, by the way you study, by the way you do something. But he, he didn't. I mean, it would have been, can I say that? It would have been easier for me. But he made it people. Because people are the most important thing. You know, Colossians is a book that says Jesus is the center of it all. 
and at the center where Jesus is is people. <laughs> That's it. Not things. People. May we pay attention to the people God puts in our life. We're going to end our time, and we've got time to do this. I've got about eight minutes till. I'm going to uh, invite our, uh, we need our crew, Ryan, to, to pass this out, but I'm going to I'm going to invite us to celebrate and take the Lord's table. And uh, we're ready for this, COVID ready, because we've got little, you know, there's little packets that are individual. Um, The team's going to pass them out. So I want to invite everybody to take one of the little containers with, um, it's got juice and the little wafer on the top. Um, And as they're passing that out, just if I may wrap us up with a few comments, I'm going to actually take us back I'm going to take us back to the wilderness where we began. You know, we started in the wilderness and the challenges of the wilderness, and then we've spent these five messages in Colossians because we want to know when we're in the wilderness, uh, it's all about Jesus. Even in the wilderness, Jesus is the, is the center of it all. Here they come. So th- they've got these on trays. You guys just grab, grab one of those, hold on to it. We'll take it together in a moment. In the wilderness, life conspires to make us question God's goodness. I'm, I'm, I got to teach this weekend, and so I've been studying some this week, and, and I'm going to be teaching this weekend on um, Exodus 15, 22 to 27. And it's actually, you remember I told you they were on the edge of the wilderness, and he said, turn back. And then, and then this week, Rob taught uh, the crossing of the Red Sea. And so they're on the other side of the Red Sea. And then verse 22 in chapter 15 picks up. And, and this is when it's like, their, it's like their first step into the wilderness. And it's, it's, a, it's a great story, you know, in that they, they go in, they go three days, no water. Um, you're not going to believe what they did when they had no water. It just totally shocked you. They grumbled, Right? We know that's how the story goes. And they get to this water and it's bitter. So, you know, it's a big disappointment, isn't it, when you're dying of thirst? And it's almost like you'd, a bit, you'd be better off with no water than to have water you can't drink. It's like the guys that are dying of thirst on the life raft, you know, unbroken. Remember that one? Oh, my gosh. You're surrounded by the ocean. You can't drink it. Um, and then Moses throws the wood in. It's sweetened. They drink it, then they go on, they come to this abundance of springs. But, you know, that, that, little, that little vignette, from what I can tell, and as I've been studying, that little vignette of 15, 22 to 27 is, it, it really is kind of a, uh, a model for how the wilderness is going to be. <laughs> We're going to grumble, Moses is going to intercede, and God's going to provide. <laughs> We're going to do it all over again. <laughs> and the whole time, we're going to be, God says, you know, he's, he's testing us. God's going to be hopefully getting Egypt out of us such that we trust him. And that, that's the, the, the story of the wilderness. There's this one thing that happens in the wilderness that's so striking to me, and it's why we come to this place as we wrap up. It's Psalm 78. Don't, you don't have to turn there. I'll just give you a, a little bit on this. But Psalm 78 is a recounting it's a recounting of the 
wilderness years and, and it's it's the generation then telling the generation to come let's tell let me tell you what happened when we crossed the red sea and we go into the wilderness these years and and it doesn't lie you know it just tells everything they did the question you know the their rebellion and everything else that you know they did but there in verse 19 this is just sad and clear and so me it says in verse 18, they tested God in their heart by demanding the food they craved. We get that in the heart. See, the heart is, it's all about the heart, y'all. And they spoke against God, saying, can God spread a table in the wilderness? Oh, this is like your child saying, Dad, do you really love me? You know, it's like, oh my God, do I love you? You know, it's, they look at God and say, can, can God spread a table in the wilderness? What an amazing picture, a table, a place of provision, food, and drink. Not just food and drink, you all, a table, a place of fellowship. Um, if there's anything I've missed, Daniel, about because of the COVID, and you guys are doing an amazing, amazing job uh, guarding our own safety, and I know you miss it too. But man, I miss the big room filled with all of us, and the counselor sitting at the table with me, and me sitting at the table with many of you. I, don't you miss that? Do you, do you know why we miss it? Because we were made for it. It's not just like a social thing, no. It's image of Godness. We were made to be at the table. I always love to read this quote from Henry Nouwen, and, and uh, you know, I'll read this at our meals as a small group, at our meals, special occasions, but I love his statement around the meal now and Anglican priest, he said, we all need to eat and drink to stay alive. But having a meal is more than eating and drinking. It is celebrating the gifts of life we share. A meal together is one of the most intimate and sacred human events. Around the table, we become vulnerable, filling one another's plates and cups and encouraging one another, one another to eat and drink. Much more happens at a meal than satisfying hunger and quenching thirst. Around the table, we become family, friends, community, yes, a body. And, and the, the Jews whom God had redeemed from bondage asked that God a question. Can you set a table in the wilderness? And God an God's answer is an, an abounding yes. And he did. And it was always pointing to the table. When Jesus, by his life, death, and resurrection, would give himself for us. Where Jesus, therefore, it's no, I mean, what? Jesus could have said, have a, do something this to remember me. No, he said, it's the table by which 
you will remember and proclaim me. The table, people. Think about the wilderness. It's always about food and water. It, and then Jesus says, I'm going to tell you what you need to remember is you need to remember the table by which my body is broken, my blood is given to you. It's so rich. It's, it's more than we can imagine. So I want you to take your bread and your cup. You got to peel that little thin, we got that little clear layer, by the way, on the top. If you got to work on this, y'all. And that peels off, and then you get your wafer there. And then you peel the purple, you know, more aluminum type of covering. Is everybody with me on that? And then you get the, the bread. And you know the story. The night in which he was betrayed, he took the bread, and after giving thanks, he took it, and he said, this is my body broken for you. It's just, my goodness, it's just a little wafer. It is symbolic of the body of Jesus. God took on human flesh, and then on that body, he bore our sin to pay the penalty for us, and reminded us and said you know when you do this you do it in remembrance of me and we do we remember tonight that Jesus died for us was buried and raised and his body was broken for us and when we do it we're remembering that and we're proclaiming that he's coming again Lord Jesus for your body broken for this table of all tables you're the table and the meal and the drink you're, you're the whole shebang Oh, God, thank you for sending your son. Jesus, thank you for your body broken for us. Take and eat the bread. On that night, he took that cup and he said, this is the new covenant in my blood. Blood... Life is in the blood. So when we speak of the, the blood of Christ, it's his life that's poured out because he gave his life so we would never have to give our own to be separated from the Father. You know, when we celebrate the table, as I said earlier, we don't just remember backwards the historic event. But right now, you and I are proclaiming, like by taking this, we are proclaiming he's coming again one day to make all things right all things right everything related to him as it was made to be related Lord Jesus for your blood shed your life given we are a grateful people take and drink and of course wouldn't you know it that table that Jesus instituted that we celebrate points, of course, to our glory. How might that glory be described when we are with him? Revelation 19. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying hallelujah for the lord our god almighty reigns let us rejoice and exult give him the glory for the marriage 
The marriage supper of the Lamb has come. The bride has made herself ready. I'll tell you what we will be doing in heaven. We'll be eating and drinking. I, I mean that. What a gift. The table. And we in here because I want to encourage and remind you that God in your wilderness absolutely can set a table. He already has. We just take it and rest in it. Father, thank you so much for our times in your word this week. They have been so rich and encouraging and the reminder we needed that I need in my own wilderness that you indeed are the center of it all, Jesus. That when life conspires to tell us you're not good, you won't come through. You don't keep your promises. Your word reminds us, the written word, you're always good. You always keep your promises. And most certainly and surely, all of this grounded in the person and work of Jesus. In his name.